for me, people should be looking to work in startups now, not going to on grad schemes at corporates. Like for me, they are the entry level jobs that people should be looking at. Get equity, learn a craft, have a lot of fun along the way. For me, that's a lot more of a, a journey people should go on than university, grad scheme, etc., etc. Today I'm joined by Nick Telson, who is the exited founder of Design My Night, the co-founder of Trumpet, and the host of the podcast Pitch Deck. Delighted to be here. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. You know, we've known each other for a while. We've kind of passed crossed paths with social chain and having conversations with your first business. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about more about you though. You know, were you that kid at school selling sweets? Were you always an entrepreneur, or did you think and did you grow into the role? I was a bit of both. So I was a proper nerd at school. So uh, worked really hard, wasn't like that social. I was quite quiet, um, just wanted to like succeed from an education point of view. I did set up a football magazine at secondary school and, yep. and sold that. So I think that was the first inclination. Sold it at secondary school? Yeah, as in we like oh, created sorry, it. I, I didn't, I didn't exit. exit. <laughs> I didn't exit uh, Match Magazine or whatever it was. Yeah, it wasn't that good. It really wasn't that good. That was my my non geeky side. As yep. in, love playing football. And so I suppose that was the first time I didn't think of it as entrepreneurial. Then I don't know. I just did it. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, my mum and dad both have their own businesses so I think I saw that at home a lot like they never had a nine to five so that was the the normal was never like drumming to me as like go and work at a corporate um but then I sort of parked that and went to university did languages so not business or marketing or anything love languages like that's like one of my passions I love learning languages I was awful at everything else like maths science my brain just can't work that out and it still can't but just languages I can just pick up um so did languages at uni then did the corporate uh, that was expected of us was to go on to a grad scheme um yep. and I thought oh well like languages is quite creative as well so that's sort of that side of the brain so I thought okay let's get into marketing that broad term it's even broader now like, at, at that time did you feel like you know was there any other options of what to, what to do could you <laughs> You know, we're, we're from an age where we were drilled in that university was the only answer. Yeah. Was, is that how you felt? Yeah, it was like, go to university, go on to a grad scheme. So like, if you're not going to do like law or medicine or something and you want to do, for me, it was like brand marketing. It was either go to like an ad agency or go on a grad scheme. And then there were like five or six big ones at that time, like Orange, Procter & Gamble, L'Oreal, Unilever. So I applied for them, got the L'Oreal one. Um, they said I did the worst maths test they've ever had to get onto the grad scheme, but one of the best marketing ones. So like my final interview with them was like, well, why should we pick you? And I was like, well, cause maths is irrelevant to my role and I can use Excel. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why you are asking me like a level maths questions at a marketing grad scheme. Luckily they, they bought that. Um, and then just, yeah, worked at L'Oreal for like four or five years, loved it. Great fun, big brands, great culture, Worked really, really hard there. They throw you into everything. Worked my way up quietly there uh, to marketing manager of a professional brand. Uh, so a smaller brand that's not in all the supermarkets. And it, it was then when I was like, okay, I hit sort of my pivot moment in life because I looked what the next step was. 
and it was like general manager of a brand. And I saw what my general manager did and she was just like reporting figures to Paris, just no fun stuff. I was like, well, I love the creative side. He was always a lot more entrepreneurial. And then we got chatting about stuff and then Design My Night came up and then the rest is recent history. So you mentioned the, the P word there, the pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very prominent word in the kind of VC and institutional world of businesses changing directions. Yeah. You know, a little bit. Sometimes it's got a bit of a dirty connotation in terms of failure. Yeah. You know, because people think, okay, you're having to change your thesis and go a different direction. Yeah. However, I completely disagree. I think a pivot is very powerful. Um, but also a lot of people looking at pivots in their life now in mm-hmm. terms of retraining or moving. How important it is in those moments to be very humble and honest with yourself about where you want to get to. I think that's what a pivot should be, is just being very self-aware. And I luckily was self-aware at that time where I was like, okay, well, I could, I could literally still be at L'Oreal now and be in charge of a country or something, mm-hmm. a brand of a country, earn a very good salary, probably be quite happy. But there was just something there that I was like, do I really want to do that? And I think having the self-awareness and it's the jump into the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're sort of trained just to go on the easy track in life. So it's that jump into the unknown where like, you know, your friends and family are like, what are you doing? Like you've built up this good career. Um, so yeah, I think it's just being very self-aware of what you want in life, what brings you joy, uh, what will make you get out of bed in the morning. And for me, it wasn't being a general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what it necessarily was at that time, but it definitely wasn't going to be that next step. And how do you manage that next like, leap of faith a little bit? Because, you know, it's a little bit chicken and egg. You know, you're in a good paying career. You've got commitments. You've got, a mark, you've got probably a rent, something to commit to. Yeah. And you've got this business idea. You know, how do you jump from one to the other? Because a lot of people have now got side hustles. Yeah. When's the right time to say, this is now my full time? Yeah, we, we were like very strategic about it. So we, we, we worked for a year. So Andrew was at Accenture. I was at L'Oreal. We met every weekend every evening or most uh, evenings and built design my night while we were in the job so it was the classic side hustle then we put it live and started to get a little bit of traction and then we were like well this is either going to happen or it's not so what we actually decided to do was share Andrew's salary so I quit L'Oreal Andrew stayed at Accenture because he mm-hmm. was earning more than I was. And we said, okay, well, let's split your salary. I'll go full time on Design My Night and then let's give it six months. And if it's going well, you can come and join me. And in that year that we were building DMN, we knew it was coming. So like we just saved. So I just didn't spend anything apart from what you needed to spend. So we were just saving as much money as possible from our salaries. Then we were going to split his salaries. So we were like, okay, well, at least we're going to have some form of cushion. And I left L'Oreal on great terms. I was like, yeah. no, I'm not going to join Estee Lauder or whatever. I'm doing my own thing. It's got nothing to do with beauty. If it goes wrong, I want to come back. Would you have me? And they were like, yeah. So okay. you had that safety net as well. So like, don't burn all your bridges yep. when you jump to do your side hustle. Yeah. It's a very strategic approach. Yeah. It very was, sensible. Yeah, it was sensible, which is that side of me that I was like, okay, I, I don't want to be totally in the unknown. We were like, let's take our time. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about like, the only reason plan A fails is because you think about plan B. But you must completely disagree with that. Yeah. Well, there's this thing about, I think people 
almost glorifying glorifying failure as well yeah. in 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 the entrepreneurial world at the moment where like I I actually never set out to fail in anything so I was like well let's give ourselves the best possibility to win uh, we just had this innate belief in the two of us that whatever happened and we went through some ups and downs that it was it that plan A for our life was going to work mm. uh, and so let's plan for that to work rather yeah. than jumping in fail move on to something else so i think that's how we ran design my night it was like very cautiously done yeah six months happen yeah salary's been split you know yen got to have a conversation yeah where are you now? where are you at now so there was some traction like uh not mega on the on the b2c side we didn't have the b2b side of design my night till mm. like two or three years in so that was our big design my night pivot but there was enough traction to be like, okay, there's something here. The users that are using Design My Night really like it. There was a very, like, not, not virality in today's world. Like, this was 2010, so not, like, going viral on TikTok. But there, we could sense, like, underlying virality. Mm-hmm. Like, people were talking about it. People were telling other people. We started to play the SEO game. How, how many of these data points were intrinsic versus tangible because a lot of people entrepreneurs talk about feeling you know, yeah moment, feeling of momentum feeling of like you know the feedback you're getting from emails or from people or from you know people you kind of just explain what you do to how much of it was like hard metrics yeah how much of it was like a sense of 50 50 yeah. i would say so we were measuring like web traffic where it was coming from socials etc but yeah the other side was just feedback from our users and then we would like, because we were so much smaller then, we were asking, like, how did you hear about us? And it was a, a lot of it was referral. Mm-hmm. And then the nature of Design My Night where people are looking at the time was like groups to go out. So that the natural virality of, oh, where did you find this bar? Oh, on this new website. And mm-hmm. then that whole group that were going then heard about Design My Night. So there was like a natural virality of groups telling groups. And like the beauty of a business like Design My Night is, and 2010 was recession when we launched, was there's always birthdays, there's always anniversaries, there's always stag do's and hen do's, there's always celebrations Mm. going on, and those tend to be groups as well. So we had that inbuilt virality of the product, um, which allowed us to scale without having to spend much money. And then, you know, you mentioned that the kind of, the, the main value creation in Design My Night was from the, the B2B. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you both quit your jobs, you're both in this full time. How do you face the fa- fact of a pivot when you're going somewhere, um, getting, getting relatively deep into something, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally connected to something? How do you then, like, no, this is the route we need to go down? Because I think there's a big glorification over direct consumer at the moment, yeah. and probably there was back then. Yeah. Everyone wanted to, you know, be the shiny brand on the street. Yeah. How did you kind of manage that? Self-awareness again. So we could clearly see that the model again back then was like advertising, sort of bookings. We were taking inquiries through the site at that time. But we were like, for this to be big, the traffic we need needs to be huge. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take us a long time to get to that level. So like, do we, do we want to work another two, three years on Design My Night B2C hoping that we can get it up to that level there wasn't like certainty to what we were doing even though there was and I always see this with founders now it's quite easy to take off quickly and get you know your first adopters and that niche audience but then to break through and be mass is a lot harder Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of new businesses will scale quickly at the start and then start to plateau but to keep going is incredibly tough 
And we were just like, yeah, we just don't know if we a, have the expertise or money to, to build a mega brand that it had to be like on timeouts level. Um, so that's when the, the pivot to B2B came. But we kept the B2C, obviously, and that became our flywheel, actually, to grow our B2B side. So then they started working together, which then moved the business on even quicker. How do you manage the relationship with you know, co-founders? You know, we've had a lot of people come on and talk about the value of being a pair, some, you know, some relationships well, deteriorate when you're in a business because you know, you're focusing on so much that you know, that end point of what you're trying to achieve is disconnected. Yeah. How did you two find it? Yeah, we were very lucky. Like, he was you know, genuinely one of my best friends. We were you know, together from, from day week one in halls at university. Um, did you pick the hall that you were going to or was it randomly assigned randomly assigned great coincidence and we actually met playing football out front of the halls we were just playing I didn't know him and then we just got chatting um, and and went from there really Um, so yeah we were we were very close friends which can help and can be a hindrance I think what worked for us is a we're very complementary styles and and skills like we are literally his A, I'm B in terms of what we're good at. So as a pair, we're much better together than we are apart. And also just trust each other. Like we fully trusted that each other would make the right decision. So we didn't have to micromanage each other. We just let each other get on with each other's side of the business, come back together. You know, as we got bigger, it, you know, it was maybe like once a month and have let's like a proper look at the business. At the early days, it was like once a day and then once a week. But just that trust that you're going to make the right decision and you trust that I'm going to make the right decision. Mm. So let's just get on with it. Um, We were never like watching each other's backs. And I think that's when it can start to crumble. And we just never had that. Do you have a preference now invested in founders with single founders or co-founders? You got a rule? It's not a rule. I think I prefer more than one. I have invested in in solo founders. I just know how incredibly tough it is. Uh, Mm. And to do that by yourself is no mean feat. So it obviously can be done, but I think your odds are far greater if you've got a builder and a, and a seller. The new business I'm in, there's three of us. Yep. And, and we found recently that Andrew and I haven't always voted together. Uh, so it's actually been very good that actually we disagree. Two of us are, are on the same side. Decision made, move on. Yep. And how much kind of humility does it take? Because you know, you're, you've introduced a new co-founder. Yeah. You know, you've got a, a new kind of model, yeah. which I'm very interested to talk about more. How does, that, how does that change things? I think Andrew and I are pretty no-ego people. Uh, I think we've always been like that. Uh, always learning without sounding cliche. Uh, Design My Night was one type of business with one type of success, but that doesn't mean we know everything and far from it. We want the new business also to be a lot bigger than Design My Night was. So the third co-founder that we brought in um, we were very upfront with him at the start. We were like, look, it's not going to be me and Andrew versus you. It's not going to be we tell you what to do. So from day one, we were just very transparent that you are equal at, to us and we're all on the same level. We can all push each other back. We brought you in because you're now in that circle of trust that we trust you to make mm-hmm. the right decision. Just coming back to Design My Night, when it comes to something you know, very major on an exit, how do you find that alignment? And was there alignment from the beginning in terms of what direction the business is going to head? Or was there kind of periods there where you had to kind of debate positioning? We were pretty much aligned and designed my night. Uh, pretty much. Where, where, <laughs> well, we, where, was the, where was the misalignment? <laughs> we were aligned on, I think, we didn't want to do it forever. 
We didn't yeah. want to run this business forever. We wanted to exit in our 30s, so yeah. then we would have the financial freedom to go and, and do what we want to do from there. At the time, Andrew had two kids, so had different financial pressures to, and, and just pressures to, to what I did. Um, so, you know, by the time we sold, it was eight years working on it. We were also both a bit burnt out with yep. it. So I think it, it came to its natural conclusion. But what I was going to say before that is also we were very strategic on the exit. So Andrew and I were very aligned on how much money we wanted to make from Design My Night. And again, people beat around the bush. Like we did it to make money. We did it for financial freedom. Yes, the journey. Yes, the fun. Yes, we didn't want to be on corporates. But that was the end goal for us mm-hmm. was to, to, to sell a product. So we had financial freedom in our 30s. And the figure that we both wanted was pretty similar. So actually, we then just modeled out the business. We're like, okay, well, if we want to make X each, we've got this much equity. Let's look at other hospitality acquisitions. So let's say the average is a 15 times EBIT multiple. So actually, to get X in our back pockets, we need to sell Design My Night for Y mm-hmm. with uh, you know, X amount of EBIT. Um, so we basically modeled out the business which was about five to seven years mm-hmm. to, to get to that EBIT number. And then fortunately, <laughs> so, someone did want to buy it. Um, so, yeah, we were always very aligned on the amount that we wanted to take from mm-hmm. the business, luckily. And, you know, we've had, we had conversations with individuals that talk about the UK. You know, the UK's got a very active M&A culture. You know, founders are starting businesses to sell for financial freedom, um, especially first-time founders, to get that realisation moment. Do you think that's detrimental long-term to the UK economy? Because, you know... We've got assets being stripped off to USA, to China, to Europe. Do you think there's value in like keeping businesses and not exiting? And obviously, from a founder's perspective, how 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 do you think about that? Yes, is the answer, but that's incredibly tough, especially for first-time founders. I don't think anyone can influence a founder on what they want out of the business. I sort of more look at startups, and I'm like very active in the startup world now more than like the scale-up world because I just think startups are going to solve a lot of the problems that we have in this country and the world. Mm -hmm. And they provide employment and opportunity. And most of the best people we had at Design My Night didn't go to university. We were like their first job and they built a career and they've now gone on to be like customer success managers at scale ups and stuff. And that was from nothing. So I think that's what excites me. Less am I looking at the UK economy on large and I'm more looking at like the, the micro level of they're just great places for people to learn, grow mm. and find a career, which mm. I think is amazing. And you think obviously then that brings out the natural um, ambition and kind of opportunity in people to actually then go and do something themselves as well. Yeah, so we had 100 people worked at Design My Night that saw a successful exit and they saw that it can be done. They saw what had to go into it to make mm. that happen as well. So I think if we've got loads of those happening, like as I say, I'm less bothered about the UK economy as such. For me, people should be looking to work in startups now, not going to on grad schemes at corporates. Like for mm. me, they are the entry level jobs that people should be looking at. Get equity, learn a craft, have a lot of fun along the way. For me, that's a lot more of, of a, a journey people should go on than university, grad scheme, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what's your kind of general sentiment towards UK startups at the moment? I think since the turn of the year, the quality has gone down i think on on decks that on I'm deals, seeing. yeah yeah I, I don't know why but i think the scene that the tech scene over the last few years sorry i talk very london centric like i'm no. from london and i work in london like 
for me, like London has come back as like one of the main hubs. I, I, I think, you know, in the early years of Design My Night, they were trying to do this like Silicon Roundabout in Old yeah, Street yeah, and, all, and all of that stuff, um, which was more vacuous. But I feel like over the last sort of three or four years, London's really like roared back as like one of the main hubs to, for access to capital mm-hmm. and to, to start a startup. So how important do you think those first 18 months of your journey was? Because, you know, we've seen a number of startups, personally ourselves, who have raised money pre-concept, pre-anything. You know, you can go, you can go and raise a couple of hundred thousand on an idea now mm-hmm. and then do the work, then, then do the hard work like you did. Yeah. Do you think that the real value and mindset of what you achieved was created in those 18 months? Yeah, I think for us, it was embedding ourselves in the industry that we wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that as one of my main questions when I see a, an, a deck from investment is I'm less bothered about the idea as such, but I'm really trying to understand how well they know that market and industry that they're working in. And those first 18 months, we were literally just walking around. Going out all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's what everyone thought. Just say it. <laughs> yeah. uh, when we could speak to the manager in the daytime, um, <laughs> it was literally door knocking. Pubs, bars, speaking to managers, just understanding their gripes, understanding how we could help them. And actually on our exit dinner, our angel investors into Design My Night said, they pulled up our original business plan that they invested in which was awful and didn't have SaaS. Um, but they said, we just saw that you really understood at that time, like the bar scene and that you would find something because yeah. you were so ingrained in it. So what peeves me a bit is, is founders that might have an idea like, oh, insurance is broken, but have like, just no understanding of the insurance market. Yeah. So I think you really need to ingrain yourself in the vertical that you want to work in before you start to decide to go on that journey. Yeah. I love seeing young people in old systems because then you just go, you know it's broken, you know how to fix it. Yeah. And the change will come because it's coming and you can be the one to lead it. Yeah, yeah. But they need to like understand the obstacles yeah. that they need to get over. And why the system is still slow to adapt. Exactly. Yeah, like why, yeah, why hasn't it moved? I'm not saying you can't move it, but if you can tell me why it hasn't moved and you're deep understanding um, and not being closed off to the people that are in the industry already. Mm. So like maybe hiring people that are experienced in the industry. Like there's that balance of ego, yep. but also just being humble to, to understand that, you know, you're not all a Monzo founder or something. I, I, always, I always find that when you bring the old and the new together, that's when you, change happens mm-hmm. because you have the new way of, potentially doing things with the old way of being able to translate it yeah. to the establishment or whatever industry you're in. Yeah. And that's how you get real, real change. Yeah. Because they say, well, this is a new way of doing it. Well, this is the old way. This is a new way. Let's do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. And they understand, like, you do have to understand the norms of why something, how something functions before you can break it and go again. Yeah. You've kind of put a lot of money back into the angel investment scene. You've, you've launched Horseplay Ventures. You've got Trumpet out there at the moment you've got other things in the pipeline that mm-hmm. are coming to the market soon mm-hmm. what are you working towards what is the summit for you it was it was actually probably my like darkest moment was selling design my night which sounds very privileged i know but i i had always been on on, on a track so i'd always done well at school i went to uni and did well at uni 
Uh, I then got into L'Oreal, did well at L'Oreal. So I was just always on a track. And then I did Design My Night, which was my obsession for 10 years after mm. the earn out, where that was my identity, was Design My Night. That's all my friends would ask me about. That's all my family would ask me about. And it was an obsession. So then the, the Monday I woke up when I was like, I have nothing to do with Design My Night anymore. Post earn out. Post earn out. Yeah. Like, so I, I, I was totally out. I was just like, what? What do I do? Like, have I reached the summit of, you know, and I'm mid-30s? And, and what do I do now? Like, everything I thought I wanted, I've now hit from a mm. professional side of my life. So, yeah, I went into a bit of like a depressive state for like two, three weeks where I was just like, I, I have no idea what I want to do. I've never really sat down and thought about it. I've never thought about joy, happiness, purpose. And they're quite important but tricky questions to ask yourself like what really does bring me happiness beyond the obvious stuff what do I want to be when I grow up yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) and yeah that was the next question (laughs) Um, that's when you're like okay well let's redefine what the next summit is and I I don't think there is a summit I think you're constantly you know you climb one mountain and then you're like okay well now let's climb another mountain you're doing the three peaks challenge doing the three peaks challenge this is peak two (laughs) so you can get me on in another 10 years well we said that we said we said what's very interesting is that we're having conversations with people and we're like asking them these questions where you know we're putting a line in the sand of the day this is recorded and then there's a future after that so like we are going to have people back on and say you said this where are we where are we and i think that that's now where i'm tracking myself is like genuine like being financially free allows you to be a lot more free in your decisions on what you want to do so you know those those dark few weeks it was actually what do i love and actually geeky or not is i love startups i love Mm. building startups i love winning like that's what that's what I want to do is I want to win in what I do and making a deal making a sale of your new product is winning exiting is winning so you're like okay well if that's what drives you let's just go again you know as well as angel investing and Mm. and actually I realized that angel investing well I've done a lot of it it just didn't fulfill me at all because I just wasn't involved day to day I didn't have that connection with with the company um so for me, it was let's build again, let's reach new heights, um, and let's go bigger. So like before we did Trumpet, we had a tick, tick list, and we were like, okay, well, if we're going to go again and put, us, put, put ourselves through it again, this business must be like instantly global, instantly scalable, self-service, and SaaS. And we ideated about six different ideas, and then Trumpet was the one that just kept coming forward, and it ticked all of those boxes. So, And it's not about the money, it's just about doing it bigger and better yep. challenge yeah let's, let's is it a bigger summit or is because you've climbed one or you've got the, you've got the expertise is the summit look smaller what is it i think it's a bigger summit and we are learning like design Man, that was a uk business mm-hmm. um so trumpet we want to be global um and and it already is to a certain extent um we we want it to be bigger in terms of revenues and ebits again not necessarily for the exit but just that bigger challenge it feels more achievable. Have you done the same model for returns? Or is it a case of let's just grow it? Is it more, does it feel more like you know, you're playing an open game? An yes. infinite game rather than, you know, you said there five to seven years to achieve this. This is a closed game. You put, you put a deadline on it. I think there's definitely more of an open mentality. And, and it's also like Rory, our third co-founder, it's okay, well, what do you want out? This is his first startup journey. So it's like, okay, well, what, what, where, do you, where can we help you get to in the next phase of your life as well with Trumpet? Um, so it's definitely a bit more open, but 
just taking all of that strategic thought and learnings that we had at Design My Night, I think is allowing us to move a lot quicker with Trumpet, mm. which is exciting. So the peak doesn't seem as difficult to get to, but it's a much higher peak. And that, that kind of speed of, you mentioned there, do you think how much of it, you know, a lot of people are looking for capital to give that speed. How much of that speed comes from experience versus uh, capital? If you've got both, great. And actually, Design My Night, we were only ever angel. Mm-hmm. Trumpet, we raised VC pre-launched. So mm-hmm. a totally different model, but we knew we needed capital to scale quickly. Yeah. But it's then having the nows to know how to spend that money. Mm-hmm. We know how to spend that strategically to grow. We know what we need to do to scale it quickly. Uh, we've, we've done it. We're moving a lot quicker internally mm-hmm. because of our experience. Yep. We know what decisions to make. Uh, we're not making as many mistakes as we did at Design My Night. Um, you know, I so said it's a 10-year journey, Design My Night, so it's quite slow. So it's like, well, how could we have sped up Design My Night? Well, mm. let's do that with Trumpet. Um, but so, yeah, you need the capital to, to grow as quickly as we want to. But our nows and of having done it is, is definitely helping us move uh, the, the boundaries a lot quicker. My main mantra with VC is raising money doesn't mean you've succeeded. Raising a B or C round doesn't mean you've succeeded. That's just stuff on paper. Mm. That doesn't mean the founder is worth 30, 40 million. It's all paper. Yeah. Um, so I think we've approached VC with a sort of bootstrap mindset. So we, a sustainable mindset. Sustainable mindset. We're, we're spending carefully. We're not raising a ridiculous multiples. We don't want to chase a ridiculous valuation. Yeah. So we're just doing it a lot more cautiously. We've got the, the right backers that, that believe in us and they're sort of letting us get on with it. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening to The Summit by Fearless Adventures. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe.